Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. Welcome in on a Monday, the start of a new week and one week closer to the beginning of college football season. This is the Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. Thank you for making the podcast a part of your day. It is so good to be with you. And we're just 10 days away, I think, from the start of college football season. I know at least around here, Southern Miss is scheduled to begin their season a week from Thursday, September the 3rd. Uh, we don't know what network it's going to be on, and hopefully for them, uh, they get a pretty big one. That would be uh, a cool deal uh, around here. But yeah, college football is supposed to start in 10 days. A little bit longer for your Ole Miss Rebels, but it is here. Feels really good outside, by the way, even though we've got two hurricanes bearing down on our coast right now. Weather's amazing. It's really good to be with you. And the show is brought to you every week by LB's just across from Kroger on University Avenue there in Oxford, the best place in Mississippi to get your meat. Football is starting. You've got NFL three weeks away. You've got college football coming up. So make sure you are ready for the start of the season and you can do that. Begin your preparations by going to LB's, best place in Mississippi to buy your meat. Also, if you're in Oxford, get one of their daily lunch specials Monday through Friday. They are open seven days a week, though, so when NFL Sunday sneaks up on you like it's going to sneak up on me, you can still go to LB's, throw something on the grill, enjoy your football. Just across from Kroger, University Avenue in Oxford, tell Greg that we sent you, and let's get started. I want to start with this today. Ole Miss had a scrimmage over the weekend, and... A lot of pictures came out of it, and that was cool to see. I mean, live football is something that, for a time, a lot of us didn't expect to have this year. And if you believed the reporting a few weeks ago, and now we know for sure, we know for sure that the sourcing on the college football is dead by the end of the week came from the Big Ten and leadership at the Big Ten. I mean, is there any doubt in your mind that the sourcing on college football is done for everybody by the end of the week came from the Big Ten? That leadership of the Big Ten expected when they canceled their season, everybody else is going to follow. And when that didn't happen, they didn't know what to do. I think that's very clear at this point. And by the way, I've got a story to tell you at the end of the podcast here about exactly how bad the leadership is at the Big Ten. Uh, more on that coming up a little bit later. But um, So that was good to see. Just the team that, that I get to cover on a daily basis, uh, whether it be on the radio show or, or this podcast and, and other platforms, um, just to see live football. Something that for a time we didn't think we were going to get. But of course with scrimmages comes uh, the speculation. And I mean, it hasn't been that long since everybody, really, I mean really everybody could go see most of Ole Miss's practices and scrimmages. Times have changed, especially with COVID, of course, but as I've learned over the last few days, Lane Kiffin is running a tight information ship. It is really hard to get anything from behind uh, these closed practices and scrimmages. It's really difficult, but some things have started to leak out. To tell you the truth, I don't know what happened at the scrimmage. I I wish I did. I have asked around and and have gotten nothing definitive, and most of it's kind of vague. And you know, this guy played well, or they feel good about this, and it's just vague stuff. Information is not really coming coming out of that program uh, the way it used to 
under different head coaches. That's not a shot at any of them. It's just being done differently now. Um, I did see, and I was asked a few times over the weekend about some stat lines that were put out there between Matt Corral and John Rice Plumley. That's what everybody cares about, right, is the quarterback battle. And a few things on that note. So I, you know, through conversations with people, have been told that Matt Corral is having a really good camp uh, and, and had a really good scrimmage. And maybe that's true, maybe that's not. I, I don't know. But... When it comes to scrimmage stats, especially in college football, five weeks away from the start of the season, in a scrimmage that nobody actually watched other than the team itself, uh, I would just be really cautious about believing them just at face value. And maybe the information's right. Like maybe the, especially one tweet that's going around that was sent to me a couple of times asking if it was real. Maybe it is real. But just the stats from a scrimmage that nobody was able to watch, it's different than that in the NFL. So, for example, Joe Burrow's first scrimmage as a Cincinnati Bengal, uh, he performed really well. His stats in the scrimmage were very good. Uh, I think he was 6 of 6 for 70 yards and a touchdown in his first uh, live possession as an NFL quarterback. Of course, it's in a scrimmage setting, but people got to see that. And reporters, I mean, we don't know the game like coaches do. And a lot of us, myself included, should probably stop trying to like break down uh, most things when it comes to the game itself because we really don't know what we're looking at compared to people that actually know what they're looking at. But at least people got to see Joe Burrow. You know what I mean? They got to see that he looked really good in the scrimmage, that he completed passes, that he looked comfortable. Uh, People got to see that with their eyes. And so when you're only looking at a stat line and it shows Matt Corral's passing numbers being better than John Rice Plumley's, because you didn't get to see it, I would take it with the tiniest grain of salt. Because, I mean, who knows what they're doing with Plumley? Like, they could be working on things with him that they weren't with Corral. They could have called different plays for Plumley to try to get different looks. And it's just one scrimmage five weeks away from the season. So I know... People get excited about scrimmage stats. I do too. I mean, trust me, I'm reading Saints practice reports every single day. Um, I get giddy about that kind of stuff. uh, And I read them and I read their stats. And so I understand why you do it. I'm not making fun of you for getting excited about just reading and, and talking about just football stuff for a while. It's not what I'm doing. I am telling you, though, that just because the rumor is that Matt Corral outplayed John Rice Plumley in a scrimmage five weeks away from the season doesn't exactly mean really anything other than for that day maybe he was better if that stat line is true. Scrimmage stats are misleading, especially ones that nobody actually got to watch. So I hope um, you guys understand where I'm coming from here. I'm not mocking you, I promise, because I do it with the Saints, man. Before I hit record here, I pulled up a Saints practice report that I'm going to read when we're done recording here. Um, And it's written by people who are just guys like me. I mean, they don't don't really know what they're looking at. But I'm going to read it because I love that stuff, and they're good at what they do. People that cover the NFL are really good at what they do. Um, So I'm looking forward to it. If I got to see the scrimmage... I would have given you guys some thoughts and analysis, uh, but I didn't get to. So just looking at a stat line and talking about the quarterback battle, I think is just 
Um, again, something that should be taken with the tiniest grain of salt. I don't think it means anything. But it shouldn't surprise you, right? If that is true, it shouldn't surprise you that Matt Corral is having a really good camp. I, I've been trying to tell people this for so long. Um, I, I don't know who's going to win the job. Uh, and who's to say that Plumlee hasn't outplayed Corral and every other thing other than the scrimmage that people are asking for information on. But this national idea, this narrative that it's just Plumlee's job, um, is unfounded. It's not rooted in reality. And when you watch the SEC Network, like I said on the last podcast, where Dari Noka's transition from Lane Kiffin to talking about Missouri was, we know there's no quarterback controversy in Oxford, but over in Columbia, there is one. I, I mean, it, the, those people are like ignoring what's in front of them. It shouldn't surprise anybody that Matt Corral is potentially outplaying John Rice Plumlee, especially throwing the football in a scrimmage. He was a young quarterback last year, too. He was playing in a system that didn't really fit his skill set as well. He's extremely talented also. So this idea that, oh, it's just Plumlee's job that you get from the national people, I think is completely unfounded in reality. And I've always, I mean, since Lane Kiffin's taken over, the kind of quarterback that they're recruiting tells me that they favor Matt Corral's skill set over John Rice Plumley's. Now, that doesn't mean anything for this year or, or even next year, and I might even be thinking too far into it, but when you look at the quarterbacks that they have signed and the ones that they are recruiting, they're more Corral's skill set than they are Plumley's. So I've kind of drawn the conclusion that that's the kind of system and offense they want to run is somebody that's a, a, a passing, a primary passing quarterback. And maybe that has no factor on this year. That's just where my mindset's been in this deal. Just writing off Corral is a really stupid thing, but nationally everybody does it. It shouldn't surprise anybody that he is, is having a good camp, if that's true. It's what, I've, it's what I've been told, is he's having a really good camp. But, you know, the lights still have to come on and the games still have to be played and we're still five weeks away. A lot of things can happen between now and then. But to just write him off, like some people have, especially nationally. I think the local media gets it more. But to just assume that that he didn't have a shot at this is crazy. And even though it should be taken with a grain of salt, considering it's a scrimmage that nobody watched, but if it is true, and he did really shine in the scrimmage, that shouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, I kind of expect it. I mean, everybody talks about, oh, well, Plumlee's going to make a huge jump from last year to this year. Well, Corral was also a redshirt freshman, but still a freshman. Getting his first real, meaningful game action. Uh, you think he wasn't going to take a jump, too? Some people don't. I think they're crazy, but I wish I could tell you more. I really do. I mean, I've asked. They're keeping camp pretty tight-lipped. It's all secondary information because nobody's allowed to go see it which is the right thing to do, by the way, uh, at least for this year. Because when you have a quarterback competition, you don't need anybody to, to get it out there who's taking more reps with the ones and whatnot. I'm okay with them shutting down camp. I don't even live in town anyway to go see it most of the time, although if it was open, I would be making a lot of trips up and back from where I sit right now. But I do think, though, people are um, paranoid 
in sports, in football, uh, when it comes to practice viewership. Like, I think the Packers shut down their practice. I think it's the Packers. Um, but an NFL team, I don't remember which one, is closing their practice to the media, not letting their media report on basically anything when it comes to practice. And, and I mean, at this point, at this high level of football, do you think if a bunch of jokers like me sitting out there for an hour watching mostly warm-ups and individual drills and maybe a little bit of team will be able to put anything out there that your opponent doesn't already know about you? Especially in the NFL. I I mean, shutting the NFL media off, that's probably the best part about being a, a fan of an NFL team is you get daily practice coverage most of the time because they keep practices open because they know that You know, Johnny Ryder for the local newspaper doesn't really know what they're looking at. And even if they did, they wouldn't report it because that's not their job is to talk about anything, to give away anything to the opponent that they don't already know about you. There is nothing that a reporter can see in practice that they could share with the other team that would give them any kind of an edge with few exceptions, like, for example, what Ole Miss is doing at quarterback. Now, you don't want Florida to know, so closing off practice to the media, that's, a, that's fine. I mean, I get that, because you don't want Florida to know what's up. But if you were the Saints, for example, and you shut down practice, it's not like people aren't going to have 20 years' worth of film on Drew Brees to figure out what he can do and what he can't do. Uh, so I, I don't get it, especially in college. Uh, like, I don't know... And most of the college beat are are fans of the team anyway. Most of them. So it's not like they would do anything to jeopardize their team in Saturday's game because they're fans. And that's okay. But I I don't understand it. It, There is nothing that any of us jokers in the media would, would be able to relay to an opponent that would give them an edge. Nothing at all. But either way. I understand certainly why, uh, why Ole Miss has their camps and practices shut down. Um, they just don't need anybody to know uh, what they're doing at quarterback. And, and all the practice information that we're getting is very vague. I mean, there's not much to it, which is the right way to go about it. it sucks for us in the content business, but that's what Ole Miss should do. Speaking of things that Ole Miss should and shouldn't do, since we last hit record on this podcast, Ole Miss has picked up the commitment of two uh, players. Both of them happened on Friday. One of them is a defensive lineman. His name is Demarcus Smith. The other one is a wide receiver named Drew Donnelly. We'll start with Demarcus Smith. Big-bodied kid from Birmingham. So he's listed at 6'4", 250 pounds. Impressive-looking athlete. Uh, chose Ole Miss over Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Tennessee. And he's one of those kids in Alabama. This is the kind of stuff that I've talked about uh, a lot on the radio show. I'll do it more on this podcast as well about Ole Miss's recruiting strategy, because you border two states that have programs in it that can be really selective with their players, and states that produce players, high-level college football players, that the in-state schools aren't interested in. LSU is recruiting nationally. The state of Louisiana produces players at a wild clip, at least per capita. Same thing in Alabama. Alabama and Auburn mostly are recruiting nationally. Yes, they'll get the best players in their backyard, but a guy like this, Demarcus Smith, an SEC-caliber player, gets overlooked by the in-state schools, and somebody like Ole Miss can come in 
and, and snag kids like this that can play at that level that are just slightly under Alabama's radar. And that's okay because right now you're not Alabama. So you can go get this SEC caliber defensive end from Birmingham that Alabama doesn't want and still reach your stated goals as a program for right now. This is a good pickup. It's a smart recruiting strategy and um, a boost on the defensive line that Ole Miss needs for sure. The other one's a wide receiver and a fascinating one at that. Drew Donnelly, uh, he's from Frisco, Texas. Uh, His dad uh, played for Ohio State. He was a two-time All-Big Ten selection. And, um, but the, the Buckeyes had just yet, um, have yet to offer. But here's the thing. This kid is a freaking burner. Like, watching the videos of him in track meets, it's funny. Because it doesn't look like he should be faster than everybody else. But he, this dude can absolutely fly. And he was probably one that has flown under the radar because he hasn't been allowed to camp. And so teams haven't been able to see this speed in person. But um, an interesting pickup for Ole Miss where they can be selective at the wide receiver position. So if there's a guy that is a three-star on some services or not ranked on others and has offers from like Boise State and Hawaii and the Ivy Leagues and, I mean, Ohio State and Wisconsin are kind of dipping their toes but haven't offered yet, I I trust the evaluations uh, of Lane Kiffin and and Lebby on a receiver like this and – Google him. Again, his name is Drew Donnelly, and watch him run track. The kid can absolutely fly, like elite-level speed. Uh, So two separate pickups uh, over the weekend for Ole Miss, a defensive end and a wide receiver. And I'm sure there's one thing you noticed about the two of them, and that is neither one is from Mississippi. And that narrative is beginning again because every this happens way too much. I mean, this is why you listen to this podcast, right? Because I'll give you some sanity. Um, it doesn't matter where they're from. I don't know why that that is something that people are just so focused on, is that these are two kids not from Mississippi. And not everybody thinks this, but there is a, there is a faction of Ole Miss people, whether it be media or fans, that think that Ole Miss just has to just put a fence around Mississippi and only sign Mississippi kids, and I just don't get it. And that narrative's back, is that Ole Miss has to sign Mississippi kids, and they've only got one committed in this class, and they need to have more. It doesn't matter where they come from. I've never understood why that does, or why people think, especially this year, Mississippi's class is not a good one. There's very few true SEC caliber players coming out of the state of Mississippi this year. And ask the previous coaching staff how recruiting only in Mississippi and making it about Mississippi kids worked out for you. Because the highest ranked players in the state still went elsewhere, and you're stuck with some guys that aren't SEC caliber. You don't sign kids from Mississippi just because they're from Mississippi. If you want to be a program that builds and becomes nationally competitive, you get the best players you can get from wherever they come from. It does not matter whether it be Canada or Sweden or Australia or Frisco, Texas, or Pascagoula, Mississippi. But you can't just sign kids from the state when you can sign better kids from out of state. If there's a defensive end in Mississippi that they've evaluated, that's just slightly not as good as Demarcus Smith from Birmingham. Guess who you sign? Demarcus Smith from Birmingham. I've never understood this. And it's not that many people, and I bet a lot of you agree with this notion. 
But th- this idea that Lane Kiffin needs to focus on Mississippi and sign Mississippi kids, it, it's nonsense. Sign the best players you can get wherever you can get them. That's how you win football games. You don't sign kids because of where they're from. You don't keep a kicker because he's from local. You go get the best kicker you can get. And if, it's, if he's from Louisiana, good, fine. Get the best guy. If you can get a defensive end from Birmingham, go get him if he's the best guy you can get. If there's a wide receiver in Florida that you can get that's better than the wide receivers in Mississippi, you go get that wide receiver. I've never understood this idea that you have to just lock down your state. What if your state doesn't produce players? Mississippi usually is a pretty underrated recruiting state. I'll give it that. This year, maybe not so much. But, but yet, that's some narrative. And it's just not real. Don't listen to that. It's just noise. It, and there are some people that, for whatever reason, um, are, don't like Lane Kiffin. And I don't know why. And there is, it's a small minority of people that uh, almost are rooting for him to fail and still don't like the fact that Ole Miss moved on from Matt Luke because, just like every other Ole Miss coach, he just needed one more year. Um, but, but ask the previous staff how the Mississippi-made strategy worked out in recruiting. The, the best kids in the state still went elsewhere, and so you were stuck. I mean, I mean, how do you recruit the best wide receiver in Florida if your recruiting mantra is Mississippi-made when he's never been to the state before? Um, I don't get it. I don't get it. But, but here's what I'll tell you is um, there's nothing wrong with the way Kiffin and staff are building a roster. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it at all. Um, in fact, uh, nobody should give a damn where these kids come from. I think everybody is wasting their time hand-wringing over where these kids are from. I mean, I'm pulling up their class right now. Their average star ranking is is 3.17. That's solid. I mean, in in a year with COVID and everything that it's up against, Ole Miss and their 3.17 average star ranking is, if I'm looking at this correctly, a top 25-ish class right now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, let's see. So in front of Ole Miss, the average star ranking, uh, the team in front of them, Temple, no, they beat. So let's just do this. Ole Miss is 57th right now, according to Rivals. They have an average star ranking better than 35 teams in front of them. Quick math tells you that they are 22nd in the country in average star rating. Um, They're building the class just fine. One of those kids that's counting is a kicker. And Ole Miss, if I'm looking at this correctly, has fewer commits in their class than every single team in front of them. That's right, yeah. Every single team in front of Ole Miss right now has fewer commits than them. Except for UCLA, who has the same amount, and they're only four spots ahead. And Ole Miss's average star rating is better. That's what you're looking at in this class. That's what I talked about a few weeks ago with putting it into context. Their recruiting strategy is sound. It's working. I don't care where they're from. Because even during COVID... When they can't bring any official visitors to their campus, haven't been able to really since they've gotten there. They had like three weekends where they could bring kids in. No spring, no junior days in the summer, nothing. They still have a class that's top 25 in average star rating. And they're from 
I think this is great. In fact, not only is this not a problem, I think this is great. Here are where the players are from. Birmingham, Frisco, Texas, Arlington, Texas, Melbourne, Florida, outside of Atlanta and Georgia, Mandeville, Louisiana, Trussville, Alabama, Biloxi, Mississippi, another one from Atlanta, Nashville, Huntsville, Miramar, Florida. It's where the best players are. They don't have to be from Mississippi. You go get Dink Jackson from Florida. That's what you do. You go get Braylon Brown from Florida because those are the best players you can get. You couldn't... Anyway, I'm spending too much time on this. I'm spending way too much time on this because I think you guys get it. And most people around the program get it. Restraining yourself to just this state in years like this one when the state really isn't filled with players like that uh, I think is a dumb strategy. If you can go get kids in Texas, go get kids in Texas. That's why you build the staff the way they did. A bunch of dudes with experience from all over. You got coaches with footholds in the north. You got coaches with footholds in Texas and Florida and Mississippi. There's nothing wrong with this strategy at all. In fact, it should be impl- it should be applauded. You get the best players wherever you get them. Maybe they don't understand the context of the Egg Bowl anymore, but who ca- who cares? It doesn't matter. You recruit players that will help you win games full stop, no matter where they come from. Mississippi doesn't matter at all. I mean, no offense. If there's a good player from here, you get them, but you don't offer kids from here just because they're from here. I don't know why that's a hard concept to to grasp, but again, I'm spending too much time on this. I've just that narrative keeps popping up from people, and I don't get it. And real quick before I move on, I, it just hit me. I got to correct myself. Uh, Ole Miss has fewer commits than everybody in front of them. I said everybody in front of them has fewer commits than uh, Ole Miss. It's the opposite. Ole Miss has fewer. So as they start filling up their class, uh, they will continue to rise in the rankings. That's what I meant. Uh, so, little correction there. Glad I caught myself because I would have felt really stupid hitting publish uh, by saying that. No, everybody in front of them has more commits than Ole Miss. That's what I meant to say. All right, moving on. Last thing. I don't know if you guys saw this story yesterday. Uh, when it comes to the Big Ten, uh, you know the conference, according to uh, the media, that is, that is making the right call and doing everything right and making the uh, appropriate decision. Um, the Big Ten and the commissioner of the Big Ten uh, spoke on behalf of the athletic directors and said the opposite of what they want. I'm reading from 24-7, but this came from a, a column in the Omaha World Herald. Bill Moose uh, from Nebraska. Bill Moose is the athletic director at Nebraska. Uh, he spoke to the, uh, the paper there, the Omaha World Herald, and said, according to him, every athletic director in the Big Ten wanted a fall football season. According to this story, he and several of his uh, his colleagues, Gene Smith from Ohio State, Sandy Barber from Penn State, Ward Manuel from Michigan, they all pushed the hardest to have a fall season, but the commissioner, Kevin Warren, preferred a spring. Moose said, quote, he knew where we were coming from and he was the messenger to the presidents and the chancellors. 
there was, according to Moose, a unanimous agreement from all athletic directors to keep a season going. Moose also said that a Zoom meeting between all of the parties didn't happen. That has happened a lot in the SEC. The athletic directors are are talking with Greg Sankey constantly. Uh, That did not happen uh, in the Big Ten. In addition, uh, Gene Smith and Barry Alvarez, Ohio State and Wisconsin respectively, were not involved with key discussions that shaped the league's decision. Instead, Warren was meeting with the Big Ten presidents and chancellors on behalf of the athletic directors. Moose said, I know where our people stood, but I would have liked to have been in the room when they expressed it to the commissioner and our presidents and chancellors. The commissioner was operating in silos, and the silos weren't connected. And in the end, that created varying degrees of communication not being delivered. Uh, So it's a disaster. You guys already knew that. That's just another headline among many headlines that show just how much of a disaster the Big Ten truly was. And I have yet to see anybody at all in the shut-it-down media explain why playing indoors in January is safer than playing outdoors in November and December. I have yet to have anybody explain why the Big Ten spring season plan, which would include renting out NFL stadiums that are climate-controlled because the weather sucks up there in January, why that is safer in terms of coronavirus than outdoor venues in November. Nobody's ever explained that to me. Why the spring season is magically safer when the SEC will be playing one month earlier. And that's that's dangerous, but the Big Ten's plan isn't. Um, It's a disaster. The communication has been a joke. It sounds like these decisions were made unilaterally without really uh, considering all parties involved. Yes, I know the university presidents are the decision makers in this, but I promise you, I promise you, Glenn Boyce and Keith Carter have spoken at length about their plans together. There's been a line of communication between the two. And in fact, there's been a line of communication between the two of them and the governor of the state of Mississippi. There has been open dialogue and communication with everybody. In the Big Ten's case, it's been literally the exact opposite. Nobody's spoken to anybody. James Franklin recently said he had no idea what to tell his players, that they have questions and he doesn't have answers because nobody's told him anything. He knows nothing about a spring season. In fact, it seems like they're scrambling about the spring season. And you also saw the headline recently where Kevin Warren did not expect this kind of uh, reaction to canceling the season. I mean, you want to talk about unfit for the position. If you truly thought that you could just end football season costing hundreds of millions of dollars to all of your universities on top of the impact that it would have on your college towns and you think that nobody would be mad about that and just accept it and move forward, uh, you're unfit for the position. How do you not know that? But here's something that I keep thinking about. Because clearly Ohio State especially is furious about this. But Nebraska's been there. Penn State's there. I don't think those teams need the Big Ten. The Big Ten needs Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nebraska more than those need the Big Ten, no matter what Desmond Howard says on ESPN. If they wanted to break off, would you be okay if they joined the SEC? Yeah, I know Nebraska's not in the Southeast, but either is Missouri. Columbus, Ohio isn't, but again, either is 
Columbia, Missouri. Uh, would you? Would you want that? Because I think all of all that this has shown, and I think based on people that I've talked to, they're starting to realize it. They don't need the NCAA. I mean, the NCAA has been a joke throughout this entire process. And there's been some contention between the NCAA and conference, the three conferences that are pushing forward in the Power Five. There's been some contention between the NCAA and the leaders of those conferences because the NCAA is issuing press releases and being really passive towards these schools. And on top of everything else, they're enforcing their arbitrary rules. Like Cade Mays, for example, is not immediately eligible at Tennessee for a season that doesn't count against anybody's eligibility. So, if you're Greg Sankey, if you're Bob Bowlesby, commissioner of the Big 12, if you're, I'm forgetting their name, the commissioner of the ACC, aren't you starting to realize that you don't need the NCAA? And if you're Ohio State, aren't you starting to realize that you don't need the Big 10? I think that this is a catalyst for a seismic shift in college football structure. From conferences to their affiliation to the NCAA, I think a lot of things are going to change because they're realizing that they don't need them. If Mark Britt gets denied his eligibility for a season that's not going to count against his eligibility at Ole Miss, if you're Ole Miss, why do you need the NCAA? Why do you need them? Look at everything the SEC's done without it. And yet some of their players aren't going to be ruled eligible because people in Indianapolis are spinning an eligibility wheel and just going with whatever it lands on. So would you accept Ohio State into the SEC? I was joking on Twitter yesterday. I called it the the super elite conference. Um, I think that kind of change is coming. But would you be cool with it? Because I think it would be great. I know Columbus, Ohio, and Ohio State fans are very different than what you're used to in the SEC, but man, they're football insane up there. They're insane. It's like Louisiana in the north with the entire state, how locked in they are and how much they care about and and rely on Ohio State football. It's it's the same thing. I'd be all for it, to tell you the truth. If you had 20-team conferences that, that they came out of this with, if a breakaway from the NCAA happens, I think it's going to. I think they're realizing that they don't need it. And if that meant you played 12 games and 10 of which were against conference opponents and two of them happened to be Ohio State and Michigan, then that would be awesome. And I think a shift like that is coming. Because every day a report comes out from the Big Ten, it looks worse. And if I'm Ohio State and I'm Gene Smith and I'm Ryan Day... I'm the president of the university, and this is our this is how our conference is being run. And then I'm out. I'm out. Especially if the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 are able to pull this off. I think they are. I, think, I, I hope. It's more hope than anything else. I hope they're able to pull it off. Because if they do... There will be eggs on so many people's faces in the media and and beyond. So I hope they pull it off. I really do.
I'm sure you guys feel the same way. All right, that's it for me on this Monday. Thank you so much for making the show a part of your day. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. Stop by LB's. Go see Greg. Tell him that we sent you. Have a great week. Be safe. If you're one of our listeners down on the coast, uh, I know this double hurricane has got some people on edge. Uh, I I heard from somebody yesterday on the Sunday show that uh, was not looking forward to what's coming. So hopefully it avoids you and everybody's safe down there. So try to enjoy your week. Be prepared for the double hurricanes, and I will talk to you again on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.